Welcome back to Pacific Point of View. I'm Tyler Budge. I'm Hayden Weber. And I'm Cole Domadova. And together we are the Pacific Point of View. Coming at you with another episode. Uh, we are, what, I, I wish I remembered the date, 72 days, I want to say, until college football season. Yeah, 73 days until college football season. How does that make you guys feel? Oh, it's amazing. It's uh, it's like the next sport that's coming up after baseball. So college football is on deck, and I couldn't be more excited. Bruh, I can't wait for that day. I'm so bummed that there's no basketball right now to fill this void. Uh, August can't come soon enough. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to forget about college baseball right now. The Beavs had a kind of a rough exit, but uh, I suppose it's better than what happened with ASU, just getting snubbed altogether. Or Texas. Did you guys see how they oh, got bounced? That was horrible. That was horrible. That was stuff from nightmares. They hit the ball right into the, the skylight. But uh, let's jump right in it. Let's get to our Wheaties, where today we are going to be creating our own bowl game. Yes, sure. Uh, Cole, do I even reveal what the the criteria is for creating the, the name, or do we just reveal what the bowl name is? Just say what your bowl name is. Well, you know, I think I, it would be nice to give our followers a chance to make their own bowl game as well. But, Cole, why don't, why don't you go first? All right, so mine is going to be the Trader Joe's Peanut Butter <laughs> Jelly Sandwich Bowl. <laughs> okay, so if you didn't pick up on that, basically it's the last place you shopped, the last meal you ate, and then the word bowl. So, Hayden, what would your bowl game be? Guys, if I didn't eat dinner right before this, I would have had the most elite bowl. I would have had the pokey bowl, but I had a tamale right before this. So I got the fries tamale bowl, which wow. has to be played at Sun Devil Stadium. You already know it's going to be like eight seed Pac-12 team versus like the four seed Mountain West team, but we'll take it. Yeah, no, I, I've noticed that every bowl name just comes out sounding like a food item. I have the United States Postal Service Pasta Bowl, so pretty <laughs> wow. pretty crazy one there. Uh, I think we got to get the Postal Service out in a bowl. I know they're struggling nowadays, right? Isn't there like a, a thing where the Postal Service is like barely staying afloat nowadays? I have no uh, idea. <laughs> well, okay, maybe I'm the only one that knows about the Postal Service crisis. Maybe someone can help us, help us out in the live if that's like a real thing. But uh, our Fruit Loops today are very interesting as well. Uh, so this Saturday, which would be the uh, – what is that? This The 18th, the 17th, don't know. But it's National Eat Your Vegetables Day. Mm. So um, I, I'm, cold. I'm struggling to, to understand how this, how this is a Fruit Loop. So uh, walk me through your logic here. So like vegetables are typically a food that we would pass to the side. So it's just kind of just that eh. – but now I want to do something cool with that food that we would typically overlook. Okay, cool. So so with that being said, what is the uh, MVP of vegetables in your opinion? Guys, sometimes I forget this is even a vegetable. I'm going to go with the potato, right? Hmm. The potato is one of the most versatile food items in existence. You could do a bunch of stuff with it. French fries, mashed potatoes, baked potato, you name it. Uh, you can do just about anything you want with it. And for that reason, the potato is my MVP of the veggies. That That's a controversial one, Hayden, because I've heard some people say that it's a starch and it doesn't count as a vegetable. I, I mean, I it grows out of the ground. So if it's not a vegetable, I'll throw in corn in the race as well. Corn's okay. very sweet. Also, you can do a lot of things with it. But I think the I, potato's a veggie. Corn's a great pick. That's yeah, that's the more non-controversial pick. But if you were going to go bold, you could go potato. Corn just doesn't digest, boys. Like it just provides no nutritional impact for you. I'm going to go with onion, though. It adds so much flavor. Uh, you don't need wow. a lot of it. You can put it in a salad, a salsa, a stir fry, a chili with any single protein. It works. You can caramelize it. You can saute it. You can turn it into powder. I would say it's truly the most <laughs> versatile. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. Uh, I don't. Is this the cilantro count as a vegetable? Is that? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Cilantro. I'm gonna go cilantro. Um, I don't know why I started doubting myself, but cilantro is, for me is very versatile. It goes on any meat I eat. If I'm eating chicken, if I'm eating steak, I, I throw some cilantro in there. It goes well with rice as well, and it's just a great enhancer. Um, fun fact: I believe it is. Don't correct me if I'm wrong. Ten percent of 
the human population has a gene that makes cilantro taste like like metal to them. Really? Yeah. So wow. there's like a tenth of the population that just has no idea why people like cilantro. But hmm. it's a great enhancer if you don't have that gene. So uh, that concludes our uh, surprisingly lengthy uh, talk on vegetables <laughs> today. But uh, let's get to some college football. Let's give the people what they want. Let's give the big picture. Uh, Big 10 matchups have been released for 2024-2025, and funny enough, actually, just before recording this, a lot of spilling up about the SEC schedules as well, but focusing solely on the Big 10 schedules for now, um, who's a team that you think lucked out and got some pretty favorable matchups, and then another team that you think maybe is feeling a little bit butthurt right now with what they ended up with? All right, guys. So first of all, I'm a big fan of the the way the Big Ten is doing their schedules. Uh, but if we're lo- if we're talking favorable, I have my eyes set on 2024 right now because that's going to be the first year of the Big Ten in its new form. Penn State has it pretty easy with that first schedule. They get the big matchups at home: USC, Ohio State, Nebraska, Michigan State. Road games: Rutgers, Purdue, Indiana. Tough game at Wisconsin, but Relative to all the other teams, I think that's pretty favorable. And guys, Minnesota is going to have to run an absolute gauntlet at UCLA, a far West Coast game, right? At Wisconsin, at Nebraska, at Michigan, at Indiana, and then they still get Ohio State and Iowa So at home. So I think Minnesota has a very tough schedule in 2024, one of the tougher ones that I've seen in the Big Ten. Guys, for favorable, I went with Nebraska in 2024, not 2025. This year, the only next year, the only hard team that they're going to have to play is at Penn State. Okay, they dodge the Ohio States, the Michigans, the USC's of the world. They get the Wisconsin game at home. However, in 2025, these guys are playing everybody. Uh, in terms of getting screwed, I look at Wisconsin in both years. They already have to play Bama on a home-and-home. Now throw in road games against Michigan, Ohio State, USC over the next two years. That just looks absolutely brutal. Yeah, when I looked at this, the way I kind of looked at it was how did their schedule dynamics change? And I agree with you 100%, Hayden. Penn State had the best improvement. They go from every year having to play Michigan and Ohio State and Michigan State anyways – to this first year at least, you're like, oh, we get to go, we get to host Ohio State and host Michigan State. Oh, and what's that? We don't have to play Michigan. And then USC, of course, slides in there, but like that is just like, they also get it as a home game. And it's just like, okay, we don't have to play Michigan. We replace with USC. It's essentially the same schedule. And then, you know, Indiana, Purdue, Rutgers, like at Penn State, I feel like got really lucky with uh, how their schedule pans out. And then uh, Illinois, Illinois, man. They go from that nice little soft Big Ten West division where, you know, your biggest competition is, you know, Purdue and Wisconsin and Iowa. They still play Iowa. They play USC. They play Michigan State. They play Michigan and Ohio State. So they're going to get a taste of what it was like to play in that other division. And uh, I don't know, man, like Illinois is like a seven-win team in that other division this year. If they're in this schedule with that same team, I don't know if they make a bowl game. It just feels like the schedules are going to get so like imbalanced over time. They're going to have to really figure some stuff out. But uh, the Big Ten is is kind of flexing a, a newer schedule format with this proposed 2024-2025 mm-hmm. schedule. So what are your thoughts on, on kind of how this thing is looking? Guys, I really like it because for kind of one of the reasons you mentioned, certain teams don't get to hide in weaker divisions, right? Wisconsin – and Iowa really dominated the Big Ten West. You had some nice runs from Purdue in there as well, but you know they weren't having to stack up against the likes of Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State. And on the flip side, for those teams, they're not all concentrated in the same division. So I think it's going to create more parity. I think it's I think more conferences need to adopt this. Just do away with divisions, and really, it's better for the game. Everybody needs to play everybody. Whether you're in the SEC, the Big Ten, what have you, you need to be playing the teams in your conference. And I get, you know, there's only 12 games in a season, but I think this model allows for more teams to play each other more, and therefore I think it's a good thing. Hayden, I'm with you. I mean, I'm a little bummed that Penn State's not going to be playing Michigan and especially Ohio State on like an annual basis anymore, but 
from what we're seeing, a little bit of a preview to the SEC with Georgia having to go on the road at Bama and then have to take on an, either an Oklahoma or a Texas. I mean, hell yeah, it's more opportunity for parity. So I love opening up this schedule. Yeah, I just love the nine conference games from the Big Ten. The SEC model is just so silly just because these teams are going to be playing each other once every six years and they're in the same conference. You know, like this year they're they're forced it to where every team will play Texas and Oklahoma, which I like that. But um, as far as how the SEC is scheduling it, I mean, like Texas versus Alabama. Like we'll probably see that once every five. We'll see it about as often as we saw when they just played this home and home because – you know, whatever. The SEC wants to do it, how they're going to do it. Um, I, I saw a lot of SEC fans complaining on Twitter about the way their schedules panned out. And then they were just, like, listing the teams they played. And it's just, like, SEC teams. And it's, like, you can't you can't bolster your conference up and then, like, say it's so great and then get upset when you have to play the teams in your conference. So uh, I found that very entertaining all day today on Twitter. Because they, um, they enjoy their annual cupcake games against Mercer and South Alabama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey guys, even my mom piped in. SEC has it easy. She knows. It's true. true. Shoot, she does. Even even Mama Weber knows. Yes. Uh, let's <laughs> the 2024 College Football Hall of Fame ballot was just announced. There are some notable college football names uh, on this ballot. Uh, so let's let's get through them. Uh, do you think each one of these players is deserving of a Hall of Fame spot or not based on their college football career? So we're going to start with Monte Ball. Yeah, absolutely. When I think of Monte Ball, I think of the most really peak Wisconsin football under Brett Bielema. You know, that's when that's when they were, you know, really starting to churn out running backs left and right ever since Monte Ball got there. Um not sure, like, statistically, if he's, like, the greatest running back to ever do it. You know, I think of the candidates from this class, he's, like, maybe the – not. I don't want to say least obvious choice, but I think running back is one of those positions where you have to really, like, separate yourself because there's a lot of good running backs in college football. But I don't have a problem with him getting in. He He was a phenomenal running back, and – the face of Wisconsin at their peak besides J.J. Watt. Yeah, when I was initially looking at this massive, like, 78-player list, I was thinking, like, damn, there's a lot of good names on here. I, I don't know how Monty Ball is going to get in, and I still have that same thought. I mean, yes, in 2011, he's tied with Barry Sanders for the most single-season rushing touchdowns. Uh, but I, I think we've since we've been watching college football – he hasn't necessarily even been the best Wisconsin running back we've seen. I mean, we saw Melvin Gordon. We saw Jonathan Taylor. And so I think just in terms of the running backs there, I don't, I don't think he gets in. I mean, the guy nearly eclipsed 2,000 yards in a season. And he had another 17,000-yard – or 1,700-yard season. That 33 rushing touchdowns in a year I think also speaks for itself. I think easily this guy should be getting a Hall of Fame nod. I don't, I don't see any reason why not to. You shouldn't punish the man just because a lot of other guys had success in Wisconsin. I get that. But then when you look at the list, though, it's like there's a ton of those guys. That, why have they been on the list for like five years? Yeah, I don't know. The bar is high, I guess. I, but I, I think Monte Ball clears the, the bar. I, he had some – Truly elite seasons at Wisconsin. But the next guy we got is a wide receiver, Justin Blackman from Oklahoma State. Yeah, Justin Blackman, uh, similar to Monte Ball. When I think of peak Oklahoma State uh, in that that year where they almost went to the natty, you think of Justin Blackman uh, at wide receiver. I'm not – I'm probably the least familiar with him of the options or of the people on the list. Like I know of Justin Blackman, but I don't really remember – um, like his reign or anything like that. So I'm just going to say yes. I mean, if you guys, if if anyone has an opposing stance, I could be swayed. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think he's a Hall of Famer. It's the back-to-back Bolitnikoff Awards that does it for me. He and Michael Crabtree are the only two guys to do that. Yeah, the, the it just is, it's over after the back-to-back Bolitnikoff Awards. One of the greatest receivers we've watched in college football. And it wasn't as a result of, just him being the only good receiver that year. And both those years he won it. There were some other elite wide receivers in college football. So I think easily a guy that should be making it. Uh, up next, we got Kellen Moore. 
guys, you could make a case that Kellen Moore is one of the great group of five quarterbacks of all time. He lost, what is it, three games in four years at Boise State, won multiple awards. I mean, the guy is an absolute legend. I got to see his last game at Boise, and they absolutely annihilated ASU in the Las Vegas Bowl. And he was something special at Boise, man. And absolutely agree that he should be in the Hall of Fame. A little surprised that it took him till his third year on the ballot to get in there, but I absolutely think Kellen Moore is one of the best, uh, not best quarterbacks overall of all time, but you look at the school he was at and what he did, the resume, it's tough to, to go against. Hayden, you're totally right. And I guess the topic of this segment should be, why aren't these guys already in? Like, what is the selection process that Kellen Moore has to wait three years, hopefully not four, to get in? And you're right. I saw him with my own eyes for three straight years. He cooked Hawaii. I mean, the guy went 50-3 and three at Boise State. He should have been in 10 years ago. Yeah, I definitely think that – I definitely think Kellen Moore should have made it in. And I, I – Typically, the way you look at it is wins aren't a quarterback stat or whatever, but I think just factoring in everything, like you said, he's at Boise State, and he had four seasons, four seasons as the starter, putting up insane stats, throwing for over 3,500 yards, I think, every single year. It just, the stats speak for themselves, so I think their hesitance could be with the ceiling, like he never had like an insane 50 touchdown year, or I don't think he ever hit 4,000 yards passing, but... As far as consistency, this guy was insane, and obviously, like I don't, I don't think you can just say. I, I don't think wins are necessarily a quarterback stat, but that's sort of the uh, more analytic side of my brain saying that. But she had the lowest career interception percentage too. <laughs> well, in that case, put him. I mean, didn't uh, who was it that had an insane year? Did that get broken at any? Or is that still active? Who? Because I remember. I remember Wasn't it Mariota? Didn't Mariota go like a whole year through oh, one interception? I think it was yes. like 2013. I could there be was wrong. A year, but there was also Haskins. Haskins threw like that one year. He had like 33 touchdowns in like a single pick the whole year or something like that. But hmm. maybe maybe a minimum 100 pass touchdowns, best ratio or something like that. Kellen, right? Kellen Moore's, I think, got the career one. Those guys might have been the individual season. There it is. All right, next up we got a guy from, uh, from Tempe, Arizona, Terrell Ooh. Suggs, Arizona State defensive end. Yeah, T-Sizzle belongs in there, 100%. Uh, you're talking about one of the great sack uh, artists of all time in college football. 26 sacks, I think it was, in a single season, which I think it's still a record. Um, so I think anytime you hold a significant record like that in college football, you belong in the Hall of Fame. And uh, so I think there's no doubt uh, T-Sizzle belongs in the Hall of Fame. T-Sizzle. I'm with you. I mean, he has the records for most sacks in a career and the most sacks, 26 in a season. Those two records alone are impressive to put him in the Hall of Fame. I don't even know what's higher than that, but he should be in the next Hall of Fame class. So here's the question. Out of these four players that we just mentioned, you have to only pick one that can enter the Hall of Fame. Who are you picking? That's that's rough. Um, <laughs> I, I might have to go subs. Like, bias aside, um, just the dominance that he had, because we're talking about stacking, you know, Monty Ball and Kellen Moore against other players at their position. When you think of Terrell Suggs compared to other defensive ends, you would be really hard-pressed to find somebody who had a better collegiate resume than Terrell Suggs. So, you're not only saying he's a Hall of Famer, you're saying he's one of the best uh, collegiate defensive ends of all time. Whereas, you know, you might be a little hard-pressed to say that about Ball, Blackman, or Moore. That's fair. Yeah. I, Kellen Moore because of the record, but if it's not a QB stat, then yeah, I'm going sucks. I, I can't leave Justin Blackman out with those two Belenikovs. You guys are crazy. I got I to gotta give Blackman the nod because because that's such an exclusive group he's a part of. Call it call – it, uh, romanticizing the award but that's what i would take and the final guy we got on here is a, a coach uh, mark antonio kind of the guy that pioneered modern michigan state football he had a couple years at cincinnati but who cares about those from 2007 to 2019 he was at michigan state so does does every good football coach just start at cincinnati is that just like how that Ryan works Kelly, Luke right? Fickle. crazy 
who else started has started there recently? I mean those those three alone. I mean that's that's, that's enough to true true. Actually. So I mean Billy, Mark Billy Vento- Napier was Napier was he, was he at? Uh, I thought he was at uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, he, was, he was at Louisiana. Oh, you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Where did that okay. come from? Okay. <laughs> I know. I've been looking at college football all day. I didn't do a thing of STEM sports. I've just been looking at college football. So I came across some head coaching profile. I don't know if it was Butch Jones or something. That Butch. sounds about right. I think Butch Jones might have been at Cincinnati at one point. Um, okay. So Mark D'Antonio. Yeah. I mean, you said it, Tyler. I mean, he he turned around Michigan State football and turned it into what it was in their heyday in like the early – mid-early 2010s, you could make an argument that 2013 Michigan State is one of the better teams to not win a national championship. I mean, nothing special on offense. I think Connor Cook was the quarterback that year, but their defense was just so elite. He won a Rose Bowl. He won a Big Ten title. He beat Michigan several times. He took them to the college football playoff. Granted, they got destroyed. Had a little bit of a, a, a rough exit. They were kind of bad the last couple of years there under D'Antonio, but overall I think he's a, he's a hall of fame head coach. I'm going to go. It's not enough. And once again, this goes back to just the names on the list and the, how hard it is to get into this thing. But I think for him to not even make a national championship just kind of hurts his case. Yeah. I actually have to agree with Colt on this one. I think he's obviously has a great resume. He's one of the greats. He should be in the Michigan state hall of fame. But when you're talking about what it takes to be in that next tier, like I don't even, I don't even know if I would put like Kirk Ferentz in the college football hall of fame. He's been there since 98. So the longevity is definitely working for him, but it's kind of the same case of where there was just always a firm ceiling that like, they're not going to build the team into like a pure like title contender. But I don't know, I'm conflicted because I look at a guy like like Mike Leach and he pioneered something. And so mm-hmm. it, his his impact on football was so intense. Oh, did did you lose Colt on your end? I, I Colt just went to a little Wi Fi bar. No, I'm still here. Oh, yeah, he's okay. there. And maybe it's just my end then. But for D'Antonio, I just am not seeing that revolutionary aspect. I'm seeing a really impressive rebuild of a program, but I'm not seeing that extra little bit that I think it takes. Would you guys put Snyder from Kansas State on there? Because he uh, was there I, for 100 tough. years. I would argue Snyder's at Kansas State is more impressive than D'Antonio's because Kansas State is, was perennially garbage when Michigan State actually had some tradition. Like, Michigan State won a title back in, like, the 80s or something like that. So, yeah. it's something it just, with. Yeah, it just boils down to how much you value longevity, you know? I mean, Bill Snyder, yeah, he he was Kansas State football. And he people forget, I think it was 2012 Kansas State with, who was it, Colin Klein at quarterback? Colin Klein, baby. They were sick. That team was, like, this close to being in a natty. Like, they were so good that year. So, I, I think Bill Snyder, the more that I think about it, the more I think, yeah, he, he has a pre- would have a pretty solid case. All nice. right. So, we we did the Pac-12 superlatives uh, a cup. I think it was last week, actually. Um, but we, can, we still love the superlatives. So, what we're going to do is we're going to do <laughs> FBS superlatives. This one, any team in the country is fair game. Colts of Raven over there. It's, it's so exciting. So we're going to start with uh, best offense in college football. And this is for this upcoming season. Just I picked them once for this in the Pac-12 segment, and I'm going to pick them again. I'm going to go with USC as the best offense in the game. Again, Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. Dorian Singer coming over from Arizona, an absolutely stacked wide receiver room. O-line is returning. Uh, and you're looking at Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury's at USC now, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Two of the great, two really bright offensive minds uh, at the helm of that offense. So I absolutely think pound for pound USC is the top offense in the game. Boys, I'm going to hook them horns. I think with Quinn Ewers back, you got Arch Manning right behind him. All five starting linemen are returning, and this wide receiver room is like five guys deep. You got Xavier Worthy, a Georgia transfer, some two other recruits they just brought in that look excellent. I mean, who's replacing Bihan is the question, 
But I think this team and Will light it up. Look out, Bama. That's, that's, I think that's a pretty good pick, Cole. That's a pretty good dark horse pick. That's one that right now might raise some eyebrows but could age really well because they did add a ton this offseason. Hayden already picked USC, which was like kind of my pick. Hey, I'm going to go with Tennessee. Hey, maybe Mackenzie Milton as a, as a uh, guy on the staff can help re-energize this squad. I definitely think Tennessee is another kind of dark horse pick like Texas. Uh, Joe Milton. Everyone loves Joe Milton. For me, I see this hypo system almost turning into a Riley 2.0, where their defense might end up being an issue, but the offense is just going to absolutely knock your socks off. Because that's what happened last year. It was a classic Lincoln-Riley, hey, we're going to do something awesome, and then, oh, the defense absolutely falls apart in a key moment of the season. Cole, you looked like you were going to say something there. No, I was just going to – you were like, that's a pretty good dark horse pick. I was like, I know, Budge. I've been looking at this for eight hours today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. Uh, another honorable mention, Ohio State. Don't forget about Ohio State. That sounds a little obvious, but uh, best defense in college football. It's, it's got to be the Georgia Bulldogs for me. You know, the defense has anchored their back-to-back title runs, and – They've shown that they can withstand losing talent. They did it last year, and I think they're going to do it again this year. You lose Jalen Carter. You lose Keely Ringo. But, guys, they're reloading. They've got a bunch of four- and five-stars who've been waiting in the wings. Georgia's identity is largely set and surrounding their defense. So uh, I, I think you got to give the back-to-back champs the benefit of the doubt. Being that defense is their calling card, I think you could say that Georgia has the best defense in college football. Hayden, I'm going to go with Michigan. Okay, I think they've got a solid blend, vets, young guys. There's a transfer from Nebraska coming in at linebacker. And it's not like they're going to need a lot of linebacker help because they're returning their two starting backs who combined for like 173 tackles last year. So the three vets returning on that side and then also on the defensive line, I think they have to address their secondary. But I really like Michigan. Yeah, both great picks. Michigan, Georgia, arguably the top two in the country. Uh, honorable mention, Iowa. Iowa's defense is still going to be elite. You look at the guys that they are going to plug in to replace some of the guys they lost this offseason. It's just five-star here, four-star there where that's going to develop awesome in their system. Another five, like the Xavier uh, Wampa. I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. It's like N-W-A-M whatever. Um, look out for him. He's a former five-star safety that's going to start for Iowa. Iowa's defense is always so great. And, and I, I remember at one point, I think SP Plus rated Iowa as the number one defense in college football last season above Georgia, which was kind of a hot take from them. But Iowa, you can never count out Iowa's defense. They're always going to be elite in that system. Uh, best coaching staff. This one's tough. Um this is weird. This might be a little bit of a contra- controversial pick. I'm going to go with Alabama, despite the fact I think this is one of their weaker coaching staffs in recent memory. I'm a big Tommy Reese fan. I think he's going to fit in perfectly with what they're trying to do. You look at Kevin Steele in his, what, third stint at Alabama defensive coordinator. He's rock solid there. And then you've got, you know, If you look at the uh, recruiter rankings, right, Freddie Roach, their defensive line coach, is one of the best recruiters in the game. And I'm not sure if Pete Golding is still there. I'm not sure if he got hired somewhere else. But, um, you know, Alabama's always going to recruit. They have a system when it comes to building their coaching staff. And they've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. They've kind of gone away from the coaching rehab to they have a lot of young guys on this year's uh, staff. So exciting. And uh, I, I do believe Bama has the best staff in college football. I'm going Clemson. I think Dabo Sweeney already got two rings. Now he has the best OC in the nation in Garrett Riley. The defense was an issue last year, but you know what? They have two guys working on it in Wes Goodwin and Mickey Kahn. And I think they got a bunch of transfer players that will help them out. Um, linebackers Jeremiah Trotter and Barrett Carter are back. That's awesome. <laughs> but this team is hungry. And, and in my opinion, when you mix hunger with talent and experience, you know what you get? Domination. Wow. Wow. That's, that is something. That is quite a, quite a pitch there for best coaching staff, Cole. Uh, and I think that's a great pick. That's a great pick. However, I raise you Georgia because Georgia still has Kirby Smart as their head coach. 
And they have Will Muschamp, a defensive coordinator, who has had back-to-back just – or I think last year was his first year, but it was a great year defensively. Their defense didn't lose any any footing. We touched on how they just completely reload every year. And then uh, Mike Bobo, an offensive coordinator, a guy that's been there, done that. It's very similar to the Kevin Steele hire. So you just can't count out this Georgia coaching staff and the job that they have done, despite the talent that has cycled through. Next one, most fun to watch. All right, guys, this is where I'm going to go hook them horns. I got Texas as my most fun team to watch. Quinn Ewers coming back to a veteran O-line. He's getting his top three receivers from last year back. And I think Sark's going to pull some stuff out of his sleeve this year. I think he's got a little bit of a chip. He's 13-12 and 12, uh, in, I think it was at home or something like that. But basically, you know, signs of improvement last year. But I think he's really going to try and make a statement this year in a very winnable conference. So I think Texas, like you said, Colt, they're going to light up the scoreboard. They're going to put up points. And for that reason, I'm going to be tuning into almost all their games this year. All right. Hayden, I'm going LSU. I like this team. I like Death Valley. I like Livy. Not to mention, Jaden, <laughs> Jaden Daniels and Brian Kelly are there too. But this is just a super fun schedule. You got Florida State, Ole Miss, Bama, A&M. The storylines are all there, and it's time to cause some chaos, and maybe we can beat Georgia this year in the SEC Championship. Yeah, most fun team to watch, man. It's easy for me. The logo pops into my head right when you say that. The Kansas Jayhawks, right? You've been on the Leipold, <laughs> the Leipold hype train. They go 2-10. and 10. Last year was awesome. They were, like, top 15 at one point. Amazing. They struggle a little, still make a bowl game, have an exciting bowl game. Jalen Daniels is the most exciting Jay Daniels in the country to watch, and there's a lot of them, surprisingly. And I, I just think – I actually genuinely think Kansas is going to be, like, really good this year. Like, I think they could win eight games, and I think that's just going to make them all the more exciting to watch because it's the Kansas Jayhawks, man. I mean, who out here doesn't want to see Kansas succeed? I think we're all on that page there and, like, oh, there's Cole. He doesn't want Kansas to succeed. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> let's let's jump to the next category. A little less fun. This is the uh, hardest team to watch, guys. I don't know if this is cheating by going to the group of five, uh, but I got to go Kent State here. I mean, they just got absolutely gutted. Their yes. head coach left to take an offensive coordinator job in college football, uh, which is you know a lateral move at the very best. I don't know how they're going to field a roster this year. I don't know who their head coach is. I don't know what they're about. Kent State is honestly one of the toughest places to win in college football. People kind of forget that sometimes. There's very little history there, anything like that. You know, I think Kent State has the potential to go 0-12 this year. And uh, they might – I don't even think they're going to be fun bad, guys. There's just not a lot going right there. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) I'm going to go with Rutgers. I mean, just don't bother tuning in at all. The schedule, I think, is too hard. They have two QBs returning who combined for more picks than touchdowns last season. It doesn't help that they play Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland, at Iowa. I mean, can these guys catch a break? This team, I think, last year went, what, 5-7, and 6-6? Six and six? I don't know. I, th- I think more like 3-9. and nine. Vegas is 3 and a half. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I yeah, I I'm not completely selling Rutgers down the river, but you know, the the real ugliest team to watch and hardest team to watch. It's already been mentioned by Smash Hit Sports and Madeline Williamson in the chat. The Iowa Hawkeyes. They mm, the reason that wow. they are such a painful team to watch is because you watch their defense just pull off an insane stop, force a turnover, get a pick six, like do everything they can. And yet the offense is so bad that it's just unbearable. And I'll tell you what's going to make it even more hard to watch this year. The fact that there's all the accusations of nepotism with Brian Ferentz. The fact that Cade McNamara will be a quarterback. So you're just going to have a slightly more talented quarterback getting shelled by defensive linemen. Because I just there's nothing Iowa did that's going to change this. And all of the interviews with Brian Ferentz this offseason, he's just been like, no, we're just going to keep, you know, doing what we've been doing. And it's just like, oh my Lord. So look for that Iowa Rutgers game to be like a 10-7 Iowa wins off a defensive touchdown. So it's just, it's just hard to watch, especially a defense that good, just get wasted essentially. 
It's a shame. Uh, it, it is, it's a damn shame, Colt. Uh, next superlative, the comeback team of the year. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to go Texas A&M for this one. I think they're just way too talented to to be terrible again. Uh, and if they are, I think Jimbo's gone. You know, they lost some guys in the portal, uh, but they brought in more five stars to kind of offset that. And they're they're shaking things up a little bit. I'm not a big Bobby Petrino fan, but he is a good offensive mind. Uh, I'm not sure if Jimbo's going to be giving him the play-calling uh, ability because I know that was a huge problem last year where Jimbo wouldn't give up the reins and it just kind of caused some some issues. But I do think Texas A&M is going to bounce back. I could see like a solid 8-4 and four season, which I think is just enough to call them comeback team of the year because they have a pretty tough schedule. They play in the SEC, but I think they'll they'll be competitive in that SEC West. Hayden, I'm going to go with Boston College. Wow. Guys, I don't know what it is, okay? This team has been awful. I might be trying to manifest this for no particular reason. I have no idea why, but for whatever reason, I now love Boston College. But if you take a look at their schedule, I see potential for winnable games. Heck, they're over under win total on Vegas, five and a half, okay? So they're one win away from a bowl game. It's the ACC. Every year, you know, there's a talented team that comes out of nowhere. They have a promising, okay, maybe below mid QB in Emmett Moorhead, but they added a UCF wide receiver transfer, Ryan O'Keefe. So who knows? They went three and nine last year. If these guys can go eight and four, their comeback team of the year. Eight and four? I'm just saying, bud. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, Colt, you just inspired me to make a new video. I'm going to make a video on teams that have a 0% chance at breaking out this year, and Boston College will be the first team on that list. Uh, I don't see that happening at all. Let's go with the Auburn Tigers. Hugh Freeze, ton of talent on the roster. A little bit of a weird situation going on at quarterback, but overall, you can't deny that Auburn looks like they're in a much better position this year. Honorable mention, Virginia Tech. They can be what Colt so desperately wants Boston College to be, but, you know, actually real. You know, Jeff Halfley, it's his fourth year at Boston College, so it's got to click now. And he made a bowl game before, so he's got to figure it out. He, I mean, he he did, but what happens so often in this situation is he just crashes and burns. The fact that the three and nine season came in his third year, I think, is the biggest red flag. You know, sometimes yes. it's the fourth year, it's <laughs> the fourth year of the marriage where it gets stronger. Oh, okay, I, I don't know. <laughs> All if right. I, heard that one. I thought that was never mind. Uh, next superlative, <laughs> most dangerous group of five team this year. You know, I I'm just kind of low on the group of five field this year. You know, it sucks when they lost Houston, Cincinnati, UCF to the power five ranks. I'll go to lane. I know it was a little high on James, James Madison uh, earlier, but you know what? Let's give Tulane the benefit of the doubt. Willie Fritz is a great head coach. He's, he's been one of the better head coaches in the game. Uh, and they're returning mm-hmm. Michael Pratt at quarterback. So, you know, they could do some things. They're going to be the favorites in, in the uh, in the American. And uh, let's let's go Tulane. I think they have a chance to run it back. Yeah, when I think dangerous, I think, okay, what's a team that has, like, power five teams on their schedule that they could, uh, you know, maybe pull some of those out? And UTSA is a team that is looking New Year's six, but also has Houston, Tennessee, and Tulane on their schedule. And, man, with Frank Harris coming back, I know they lost the wide receiver to Ole Miss, but they still returned Joshua Cephas and DeCorian Clark. Seven guys back on defense. It just feels like this could be the year it all comes together. I love that pick, Colts. Again, UTSA, a good pick. But I'm going to go with Troy. John Summerall, I think the most underrated coach in college football. Troy won not 10, not 11, but 12 games last season. They went 12-2. and two. And including a close loss to Ole Miss. And I believe they host Kansas State this year. I'd have to double-check on that. But you just cannot sleep on the Troy Trojans because they are going to be the best team in the group of five, I think, this year. And I think they'll be the most dangerous. And that, it's got to be Kansas State. This is going to drive me crazy. Let me let me refer They're to on them. the road. They're on the road at Kansas State. <laughs> okay, well, they play Kansas State? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah. My suspicions. Kansas State better watch out in that game. Uh, next up, who will have the weirdest storylines in college football this year? I'm just 
I'm not sure what to think of the West Virginia Mountaineers. It's such a weird situation there with Neil Brown. It feels like he's just waiting to get fired. If you guys remember last year, he was on the hot seat. I believe they had a change at athletic director. And, you know, people were thinking, hey, this is, you know, naturally a changing point. Neil Brown's been disappointing. Program's going in the wrong direction. But no, they keep Neil Brown with the new AD. And there's like zero momentum surrounding West Virginia. So I could see an early firing if things don't go well. And things could get ugly there in a in the Big 12. I mean, I, I think they're going to be picked toward the bottom of the conference this year. So I could see some odd headlines coming out of West Virginia. And Neil Brown would be my uh, odds-on favorite to be the first head coach fired next year. And I'm going to go Florida State. This is a team that went 10-3 and last year, projected to do well this year. I think they will do well, but like 8-4 and well. A slight regression from last season. I don't know. There's just a lot of hype. And I think when it's really hyped up, you're going to be disappointed. I think they have the talent, no question, to knock off an LSU or Clemson. But do I know they're not going to drop one to Miami or Pitt or Wake Forest along the way? And Jordan Travis, second in the Heisman like voting right now, the odds – I don't know about that. Maybe it's just because I remember two years ago when he was a lot more inaccurate. But there's there's just something I don't buy about Florida State yet. You know, that's interesting, Colt, because I am pretty high in Florida State. However, I, I keep thinking about the scenario where they have that kind of season, how things would shift with Mike Norvell and how much like room they'd be willing to give him as a coach because it really feels like there's a lot of pressure on him this year. Uh, yep. I actually I went ahead and said Florida. Florida's had weird storylines all offseason. There's no reason for them to stop, especially when the Gators start racking up L's uh, during the regular season and maybe start getting wins, which sparks even weirder storylines around their program. But they've, they've had a lot of weird stuff going on. So what happens when your weird team plays my weird team? <laughs> it's going to be a whole lot of weird, man. It's the state of Florida. You just you just got to keep it self-contained. Uh, Colt, you, you spurned the little guy recently, but yeah. it looks like you're going for a shot at redemption uh, this episode. We've got... Colts corner for one for the little guy. Yeah, I was doing lock of chaos, but there's not too many sports out right now. Let's just save that for college football season. Let's get you ready for little people we should be talking about over here. Uh, I initially wrote down three teams I want to look at, but I just want to look at a dark horse in the American. It's a brand new looking conference. It doesn't have your old UCFs and Cincinnati's of the world. Tulane hasn't gotten, isn't going anywhere. We know UTSA is on the come up. But you know what? FAU. The vibes are there. The money is there. The basketball team did it. Why can't Tom Herman and the football team do it? I mean, he's got two decent QB options. They got a Texas transfer, Casey Thompson, and the Central Michigan transfer, Daniel Richardson. Apparently, he lit it up last year. They also have a three-headed rushing attack and an entire O-line that's returning. I don't know. I just feel like with FAU, I don't know where the money's coming from in Boca Raton. But I think these guys could end up winning the conference in some wacky fashion. All right. That's that's a pretty pretty good take there, Cole. I I've been agreeing with you a lot this show, but I, I think you it your research really showed. You, yep, it's the eight hours of prep. It's, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so wait, what were you just sitting at your desk at work and you just slow day? Hey, let's not incriminate Colt any further. Yeah, no, dude, I was, I was just going ahead, just uh, making sure we got the STEM sports email inbox done, but then also making sure we got the, the, the Pacific POV stuff done as well. That's excellent. Uh, Washington State Athletic Director or President Kirk Schultz said that the Pac-12 media rights deal will be worth more than the Big 12. Uh, are you buying that? I think so, because the Pac-12, they have big markets, right? We know that they still have Phoenix, uh, Seattle, they have the Bay Area. And when you look at it, there's still a lot of quality college football brands. Washington and Oregon, those are two, maybe not blue bloods, but very solid uh, brands that if they went over to the Big 12, I think you could probably put them towards the top of that conference post Texas, Oklahoma. So I absolutely buy that uh, the Pac-12's media deal could be worth more. 
Uh, I'm going to go, I don't believe so. I think this could be just a ploy to reassure teams like Colorado and Arizona's of the world that everything's all all under control in the Pac-12. Don't go to the Big 12. Don't go to the Big 10. Um, but I don't think so because we were hearing some weird potential network partners like like Apple TV that's not really into football, things like that. If ESPN and Fox and the CBSs and NBCs aren't coming after you, I don't know, I'm a little sus. Yeah, I don't. I've learned just to not believe anything anyone says when it comes to realignment. So I'm just <laughs> going to continue with that and just not believe anything anyone says, and that includes the Big Twelve. Uh, is the Pac-12 in danger of losing teams to the Big Twelve if they can't beat the number, like the athletic director from Wazoo is saying? I think some teams would be inclined to bolt. I think others would probably try to stick it out. You know, we've kind of. We kind of have a good idea of who the teams are that would probably bolt. We've heard Colorado's name thrown in there. We know Oregon and Washington have, have been interested and in, in allegedly interested in the Big Ten. But I, I kind of agree with you at this point, Tyler. Like, I've been swayed in so many different directions. Like, I've been literally on both ends of the spectrum where I was, like, convinced ASU was going to the Big 12. And then now I think it's definitely not happening. But... I don't know. I think, I think, yeah, I think at least a couple of teams would, would look about, see about leaving. The numbers were low. I think it's a guarantee. I mean, why would anyone want to stay in a conference that is paying them less money and isn't like growing? I mean, you hear the stuff about the Big 12 doing bowl games in Mexico and things like that, trying to generate revenue. I mean, if the Big 12 can pay you more, there's no purpose in staying in the Pac 12 if you can take your arch rival with you. Uh, college football needs its own like woge. We need we need someone that when they tweet something, it is law and it is fact. We don't have that in this sport. We just True. have a bunch of schmucks on Twitter, just like, oh, this could happen. I don't know. But clumps into the SEC. It's just like, what are we? What are we doing, boys? Like, I, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know. Maybe they'll leave. I don't know. I have no idea. And and woge woge would have been on the USC UCLA move and the text. No one was on that. It just happened. True. They made the announcement. We do not have some. One of us has to do it, and it's not going to be me. So it's up, up to you too. One of you. I think Colt. I think Colt would be a phenomenal, like that's what I was news thinking. breaking Twitter journalist. No, I, and I think the answer to that too is like we don't have like an overarching board for like college football. It's a whole bunch of different conferences doing a whole bunch of different stuff, and so like with Woj, he at least has one big front office to deal with. True. With college football, it's just a mess. Uh, agreed. It's an absolute mess. But uh, this is a Pac-12 show, after all. So let's get to talking about some Pac-12 teams. Um, we can do we can do kind of kind of rapid fire, a few you know insights on each thing for each team. We're gonna start alphabetically, and we're gonna say, hey, what's one reason each Pac-12 fan base should be optimistic this year and also pessimistic this year? But I got a question: Are we gonna still talk about USC and UCLA next season? Because this is a Pac-12 show. Not as often. Hey, it's they're, they should. Hey, they're not in the Pac-12. They should have read the fine print in the contract that says specific point of view is not going to talk about you weekly anymore. Fair. So, I mean, UCLA, we might never talk about them again. They're like. <laughs> 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 Anyways, let's start from the top. The Arizona Wildcats. Hayden, what's something to be optimistic about? Pessimistic. All right, guys, I'm going a little bit outside the box here. Optimistic? Guys, the defense has nowhere to go but up. It was so bad last year that the defense only stands to improve. And on the same token, that defense, no matter <laughs> how much it improves, there's a ceiling there. And I just don't think they have the means to like rely on their defense to win games. The offense is going to have a lot of pressure on its shoulders. Hayden, I'm with you. The optimism is you brought in some new transfers to address the defense. Okay, so clearly you're doing something to fix the problem. The pessimism, first of all, there's some off-the-field stuff with Delora that, you know, could could impact the locker room. I mean, that's just a little bit of pessimism. And whether or not these defenses, these defensive adjustments will work is another question. For Arizona, optimism, you're trending in the right direction. All signs point to the next step being a bowl game this year. The, op- or the pessimism, the defense did not look great. And even though they got some flashy names on that side of the ball, it might not help. It's the same problem. Let's go uh, to Arizona State. 
Yeah, uh, offense reloaded. You have one of the better wide receiver rooms in the conference. And Kenny Dillingham is call, is going to be, you know, I don't know about calling the plays, but he's going to be conducting the offense. So that's exciting. But, you know, just a lot of unknowns. And sometimes when you have so much newness, uh, that, that can kind of hinder what teams are able to do, especially on defense. So a little bit of cause for concern there. Yeah, the optimism, Hayden, right. It's 30 new incoming transfer players. The team looks completely different. The, the pessimism is, you know, time is a thing and you, you have to let things develop. So you're going to have to accept the fact that you might suck for a year. Yeah, optimism, just like you guys said, most transfer experiments in college football have worked out pretty well. And ASU is doing another big transfer experiment. Pessimistic, this team did go 3-9 and nine last season, and we haven't necessarily seen that. You know, the success come from a team that was that unsuccessful, lost to Eastern Michigan. So that's a reason to be pessimistic. Uh, let's take that alphabetical order thing, throw it out the window. We're out of the Oregon schools now. Uh, let's start with the Oregon Ducks. <laughs> All right. Uh, they can be excited that Bo is back. Uh, he's going to see about building on his really solid campaign from last year. Pessimism, Kenny Dillingham's gone. A couple of their assistant coaches left. Sometimes that can rock the boat. So. We'll see if that affects the Ducks. Yeah. Good bow is the optimism. And you don't have to play Georgia to start the season. Hey, that's nice. Pessimism, there's always the threat of bad bow. And it doesn't help when you've got four new offensive linemen. Yeah, no, you guys hit it right in the head. I, I said optimistic, a little different. The defense could genuinely be elite. I've talked about the depth that they've got on the defensive line now. Pessimistic, no more Kenny Dillingham, which in my opinion raises the odds of us seeing Bad Bow more frequently uh, throughout the season. Let's go to their Beaver brethren, Oregon State. Yeah, lots of optimism to be had for that running back room behind that great offensive line. But I don't know if this is pessimistic, but more of just a kind of a question is, will the Bees be able to handle the expectations? Because I'm going to say the expectations haven't been this high in a while. So I'm curious to see how they handle it, and it could it could affect them a little bit, but that remains to be seen. Hayden, that was my exact answer for pessimism. Also, did you get the right quarterback? I mean, that that's a reason to be optimistic that Damian Martinez is back and you answered your quarterback question. But if you don't, if you didn't answer it right, then you're going to be bummed. Optimistic, the offensive line will be elite. Uh, I think even if DJ hmm. doesn't pan out. We still got Aiden Childs. That's who we thought we were going to have going into the season anyways. It's a wash, you know. Pessimistic. Secondary's depleted. Fun fact, Hayden, uh, tying to your pessimistic. The last two times Oregon State has entered a season as a top 25 team. First one was like, I don't know, it was like back in like 08 or something like that. We lost at home versus Fresno State. The last time, 2014, we lost at home versus Eastern Washington. Our first game of the year is at San Jose State. So that's a little bit intimidating there. Um, but we will see how, how they perform with the pressure. Next up, we got the USC Trojans. Very similar uh, for to Oregon State for this one for me. Um, you can be optimistic about Caleb Williams coming back, and he's arguably has the best supporting cast in, in the conference and in all of college football and offense. Pessimism. I'm going to change it up a little bit. I said the the national championship expectations, but you know what? Even though they loaded up on defense, Alex Grinch hasn't been able to figure it out. So I'm a little bit pessimistic that even with this loaded defense, that Alex Grinch is going to be able to get the job done. Right. Optimism for USC. I mean, they just the defense just can't be awful. They they gave up a ton of points last year. This year, they just got to be above average. Okay, the offense can score 42 points per game like they did last year. But the reason for pessimism, I see these weird Notre Dame and Oregon games in October and November. And if you lose both of those, bye-bye playoff. Yeah, I'm, all the reasons for optimism. Caleb Williams, elite offense, everything. Pessimistic, as you said, Hayden. The defense also, Caleb Williams is a mortal human being, meaning he can get injured. That is a reason, I think, to hit the panic button. If that happens in the season for USC, that could be really bad. Uh, next up, we got UCLA. All right. Optimism, Dante Moore could be special. Uh, we don't know, though. Pessimism, you're replacing almost all of your offensive production, DTR, Charbonnet, Bobo, and Dulcich. Optimism, Chip Kelly. The guy's a proven winner. He knows how to develop QBs, as you mentioned. 
pessimism. Uh, did they peak kind of last year under Kelly? Is this team in a soft reset? Hey, hey, optimism. Carson Steele, another transfer running back. We saw how that worked out with Charbonnet. Dante Moore's a beast. He's the future. Colin Schlee, if Dante Moore is, isn't ready to start this year. I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Pessimistic. No one cares. Nobody cares about UCLA. No one's going to be in the stands. Everyone's focused on USC. A lot of people probably forget that UCLA is this is their last year in the Pac-12. Like, no one cares about UCLA. It's sad. They're invisible when being compared next to USC. I mean, locally, we care about them in the Pac-12. But guess what? In the Big Ten, UCLA, no one's going to care about you guys. Like, Rutgers isn't going to be scrambling to check how UCLA is doing. Like, especially when they're only playing you once every four years in the Big 12. I mean, I guess in the Big 12, it'll be, or Big 10, it'll be more frequent, but no one cares. Uh, next up, we got Colorado. All right. Optimistic about uh, only 10 scholarship players returning from last year. You've got Cormani McLean, Travis Hunter, Shador Sanders, etc. A little bit pessimistic about that start to the season because as hype as it would be if they beat TCU in Nebraska, they could very well be 0-2 and the wheels could be falling off before it even gets started. Man, optimism, the sky's the limit. It's Deion Sanders University now. I mean, welcome to primetime, Colorado. So all the eyes are going to be on you. The pessimism is, well, now all the eyes are on you. So are you guys going to show up? When it really counts. And are you still going to get the buy-in from the transfers and the recruits down the line if you lose a ton of games this year? Yeah, exactly. Optimistic has got to be the excitement. Got to be the elite talent. Pessimism, how's that depth? How's that depth? We know we got that front line of guys, the Cormani McLeans, the Travis Hunters. What happens when we go one guy behind that? You know, who's, who's there aside from that first line of guys? Next up, we got the Utah Utes. Got to be excited about year three, I think, of the Cam Rising experience. So you, they, they're returning their quarterback. But back-to-back Rose Bowl letdowns, is that going to damper the mood for this season? Hmm. Yeah, Cam Rising's back. That, that, that makes me happy. The pessimism, though, I, mean, I guess I was doubting this team. You know that one year they went one and three? Is this maybe the year where it all hits the fan? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, my optimistic and pessimistic are the exact same thing. Everything is in place to run it back. Meaning, oh yeah, everything's mm. in place to run it back and win the Pac-12, but ah, everything's in place to lose a couple out-of-conference games and some weird conference games and run back a Rose Bowl loss, you know? So depends on how you look at it. It's a, it's a glass half full or empty, depending on what, who you are as a Utah fan. Next up, we got Stanford. Hey, Joshua Cardi could have a Lou Groza season. That's exciting. <laughs> Uh, the pessimism is we actually have to watch this team play offense and yeah. defense. Uh, they're kind of not good on either side of the ball. Oh, man, the optimism is kind of like ASU. The new era, new coach. The pessimism is – honestly, you're not really getting the transfer talent that the ASUs are kind of getting too. So it's going to be a lot tougher to build this culture again. Hey, optimistic Troy Taylor's here to stay. You know, he's a guy from Northern California. He probably wants to be at Stanford for a little while. Uh, pessimistic, they just got, they just have no life. They have no life. It feels like, it feels like even though Taylor might stay for a while, I don't know. I don't believe that Troy Taylor is about to crush NIL and crush the transfer portal at Stanford. Like, I don't think so. Next up, we got Cal. This one might be kind of a, another outside-the-box one. Guys, Justin Wilcox is on the hot seat. He might be coaching for his job, so look for him to pull out all the stops. Uh, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic about just their identity as a team. They kind of just lack an identity. It used to be defense, but not so much anymore. I mean, they're kind of better on offense. I guess just their, their lack of an identity is a little confusing. And I'm with you. The optimism is the pressure. I think the pessimism is, does Wilcox know? Like, if he doesn't get this thing going, he's out, like, by November. Hey, uh, that'd be pretty funny if, if Wilcox doesn't even – he's like, oh, I'm doing great, guys. Like, I'm very excited to start 0-4. He, his key card doesn't work. He's like, what's going on? Uh, I, Sam Jackson and Jaden Ott, I think, have a lot of upside. That's the optimistic. Pessimistic is the history under Wilcox. Just time and time again. We've hyped them up, we've built up Cal, we've thought, and then no. And then thought, and then no. And now recently, the only thing that's changed is instead of thinking they're going to do good, we know they're going to do bad, and then they do. So things are just, history's not on their side right now in this system. Next up, we got Washington. 
Guys, Ryan Grubb gets to cook with uh, Michael Penix Jr. and Romo Dunze. That's really exciting. Uh, they did lose both of their guards this past season. So the offensive line, a little bit new. We'll see if that has an impact, especially with two new running backs. Yeah, optimism. Penix is back, and maybe the best wide receiver core in the conference is also with them. The pessimism, man, kind of like Oregon State, is there going to be a regression there? Yeah, optimism is that returning offensive production. They're bringing everyone back. They're bringing back Ryan Grubb. Pessimism, having to actually play Utah and USC. Last year, they mm. didn't have to play those teams. You actually have to put that up and, and prove it out there this year. A lot tougher schedule. And then the last team to round it out, the Cougars from Pullman. All right, guys. Keyword here. Cam Ward should improve with a year under a year at the FBS level under his belt. He should improve. I do think there's too much upside there for him to suck. Uh, so I think Wazoo can expect better quarterback play, but they're replacing both coordinators and a whole bunch of guys on defense. Hayden, man, I didn't even write down an answer for optimism because I'm not optimistic about Wazoo at all. Wow. I mean, there's a reason we call this guy Sham Ward. It feels flat in Pullman. Yeah, I'd say optimistic. If you just watched the season and you didn't really pay attention to this offseason, year one was awesome under Dickert. The defense looked really good. You'd be like, all right, yeah. But pessimistic, they lost so much talent in the portal and their defensive coordinator, and there's just a lot of bad vibes right now. But, hey, Washington State operates best when uh, there's no eyes on them. No one's expecting much. So maybe that works for them. Uh, we got one last segment here for you to, to close things out. Uh, Hawaiian or hookah, haka. Colt, the uh, native Hawaiian, has prepared uh, some 10 college athletes with Polynesian names. And uh, me and Hayden will have to determine whether they're Hawaiian or Hukahaka. Okay. So our first name is Sam Taki Taimani. That's got to be Hawaiian. I'm too, Hawaiian too simple. Well. That is a real name. That's a Hawaiian. He's on Oregon. Second guy, Hi. Alama Uluvale. See, I'm going Hukahaka. I, I don't think uh, – I think Cole overthought this, and so he decided he wanted to do two Hawaiians because it was too obvious to you a second Hukahaka. So I'm going to go Hawaiian. <laughs> the reason – it's a Hawaiian. That's a Let's real go. guy. San Diego State. Wow. Third guy, Tennessee Pututau. No chance. That is no a Ukahaka. No Ukahaka. He is on Utah. What? <laughs> his name is Tennessee? His name is Tennessee. What's wow. his last name? Pututau. That's ridiculous. All right. Yep. All right. Fourth one. Diamond Lanikai Helenui. We're going to go Ukahaka. I got to go Ukahaka here. I'm tripling down on it. So Hukahaka. There we go. Okay. Get out of here with that. Hey, I've got them three for four so far. All right. Hale Motuapuaka. I'm going to go Hawaiian here. I'm going to go Hukahaka. He's on Utah State. Oh, my goodness. All right. Back in it. Yeah, Hayden. All right. How many are you at, Hayden? Uh, I'm three for five. Okay, I'm also three for five right now. All right, next name. Lana Kila. Tungo Vailoa Johnson. No. Hukahaka. Get out of here. Hukahaka. <laughs> That's a Hukahaka. There's no Tonga Vailoa Johnson out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> I, I tried to combine the rock with like Tua. Uh, you did? What are you <laughs> All right, next guy. Lilo Ayu. I believe that. I'll go Hawaiian. Yeah, let's let's go Hawaiian here. That's a Hukahaka. <sighs> Dang it, I guess no, no harm, no foul. We're both still at four. All right, next one. Kekani Okoa Holomalia Gonzalez. Let's this, go Hawaiian here. I was going to say, this one's so outrageous that I just have to go Hawaiian because I believe it. He's on Boise State. Let's, Let's go, go, baby. All right. Woo. All right, next one. Earl Tuioti Mariner. I'm gonna go that Hawaiian. Mariner's throwing me I'm off. I'm gonna go Hawaiian. Uh, let's 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 go Hukahaka. I'm He's gonna on go. BYU. Let's go, baby. Yes. All Mariner. right. Mariner. Mariner. It's crazy. Right. These names are out of pocket. 
And the last one, Ikaika Yamamoto. I'm just going to go the opposite of – yeah, yeah. I, I got to go Fukuhake the here. Only, I'm going to say Hawaiian. I think Colt actually made sure to look up if there was any Kaika in college football. So I'm going to go Hawaiian. That is a Hukahaka. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> a tie. <laughs> a tie. Here, Colt. Oh. Give, us, give us another one, and this will be the tiebreaker. Okay. Let me look one up. Well, don't say that. <laughs> so but, you, uh, but, let me look up San Diego State's roster real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you won't know if it's a real guy. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Mind game. Okay. I'll, I'll write mine down so that way there's no. I'm ready. You guys ready? I'm ready. Yeah, fire away. Olapai Williams. I've I've got mine. Me too. Go ahead. I'm going to go hookahaka. Go Hawaiian. That's a hookahaka. Yes! Let's go, baby. There's a victory. <laughs> Is we this too it. easy? Damn. <laughs> we yeah, just I'm... throwing all these kinds of names together, bro. Like, there is no way Colt is actually looking something up right now. He's just like, oh, I don't know. Something, something, Williams. All right. That is the last segment for uh, a pretty, pretty lengthy Pacific Point of View uh, show here. Um, season getting closer every single episode. Uh, we got we got some some working men in this uh, podcast now. Everybody grinding. But uh, what are you uh, most looking forward to for for the season at this point, guys? I'm looking forward to being back at Sun Devil Stadium. I'm so hyped for that Southern Utah Thursday night game. You already know it's going to be 105 degrees. The place is going to be maybe 50 percent full for that one, but. You know, that's that's the best time. That's when you know college football is back. You know, you're sweating your balls off in the stands. And, you know, it's it's either ASU looks like crap going into halftime and you're like, damn, this, this season's going to suck. Or it's like 42 nothing already. But that's week one of college football, and that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited for the pregame tailgates and all these all the fun that we're going to have um, on and during, before and after the game. Yeah, I just uh, speaking of the Devils, I just bought my season tickets this morning. So you didn't tell me. Eight, there eight, we go. The early alumni student discount is really lit. I'll show you how to do it, Cole. I've got a phone number you can call. Uh, but right, uh, thanks. It's a great deal, man. One hundred and fifty bucks for eight home games this year. That's a great like, deal. Am I am I gonna be sitting next to you though if I do this? Yeah, I can just show you the section. We yeah, there were there was other seats available up there. Yeah, we might just have to make it the Pacific point of view of seats. No, True, seriously. I, I'm actually like, I'm going to have banner. to jump in on that. Okay, okay, cool. Well, if that's all we got, I'm Tyler Budge. I'm Hayden Weber. And I'm Cole Tomadova. And with that, we wave goodbye. Okay, there we go.